This is Blind Like Me. Hello, everyone. Interviews, information, and reviews related to living with a vision disability. Your host is Tim Black. Tim has been visually impaired since birth. He's been in radio for 30 years and also hosts the podcast Inside Today's Country. Tim has never let his lack of vision stand in his way. Well, here we are with another edition of Blind Like Me. My name is Tim Black, and thanks very much for listening to us wherever you find your podcast. We always remind you to make sure you hit that like and subscribe button. And don't forget to share this uh, with your friends as well uh, and other people who are in the blind and visually impaired community so that they can uh, follow along with what we're doing here on Blind Like Me. We're continuing with finding more and more you know, things that can help people who are blind and visually impaired. And this is kind of something that I am really out of the comfort zone with because I don't know anything about this. But I've had a lot of people ask me about guide dogs. Very happy to welcome Stephen Doucette on the phone with us. And you are with? Canadian Guide Dogs for the Blind. Excellent. How long has Canadian Guide Dogs for the Blind been going? And welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Uh, Canadian Guide Dogs for the Blind was established way back in 1984. So, of course, depending on your age, some, some like my 18-year-old son, think that's a, thinks that's a dinosaur age. <laughs> uh, for people like you and I, it's really yeah. not that long ago when you think about it. So we have the, the origin of guide dogs dating back to approximately 1929 for modern history. I won't get too much into the history, but... Uh, but Tim, it dates back to 1929. Most people are familiar with the term seeing eye dogs. Right. And not to promote another organization, but that's actually a trademark name. And it comes from an organization called the Seeing Eye, who were founded in Tennessee in 1929 and later moved to New Jersey. They are the original um, body within our organization. So they own the term seeing eye dogs, but that's 1929. So we're talking a long time until the 1980s before we actually had guide dogs being trained here in Canada. And there were a few organizations that started around the same time. Canadian Guide Dogs for the Blind that was founded in 1984. And it was really a a pipe dream uh, from a couple of people from the UK, Mm -hmm. Uh, Jane Thornton and Bill Thornton. Jane remains uh, with the organization at uh, this time as the chief operating officer, but she's the co-founder who came in 1984 to start this organization with, uh, you know, with one one dog and one client, it's it's very cliche, but that's usually what I say. One dog, one client, and a large dream. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we've been around for thirty six years now, doing what we do. That's amazing uh, to to hear that story about it. And I did not know that uh, about the seeing eye dog. That's really cool. Yeah, we we get that term a lot. People ask about seeing eye dogs. Um, we actually also get the term, which is kind of funny, especially our national training center is located in Ottawa, so there's a huge French population, but. Uh, but it just doesn't translate very well. Instead of chien eat, some French people refer to them as the blind dogs. Right. Uh, our, do- our dogs do see. Um, they do a very good job as guided, uh, guiding, so they do see pretty well. Let's walk through the process uh, of, of becoming somebody who needs uh, a guide dog. I mean, there are obviously, you know, uh, stipulations and so forth that, that you will go through. So how do we walk through the process of, of getting into having a dog? Well, essentially, you need to meet the very basic criteria. There's really not much to the criteria. You must be a Canadian resident, at least 16 years old. Okay. That's our organizational policy, which I could get more into if you like. It's really about maturity and understanding that you have to care for the dog, not your parents, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to be registered as legally blind. And as far as mobility, we, we recommend uh, orientation and mobility skills. Um, Really, it's about having a couple of independent routes. If you have a couple, even very basic independent routes, 
um, and you're somewhat comfortable and confident getting around on your own, then you might be ready for a guide dog. It's certainly not for everybody. Uh, some of the things that, that are often forgotten are things like the incidental costs. It's, it's you know, all of the, all of the uh, costs of training and receiving a dog, that's all provided by the organization. But once you go home, mm-hmm. you now have a dog to care for. So it's, it's a little bit of financial stability. Um, it's also caring for a dog. Not everybody wants that responsibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you if you like sleeping in and don't want to get up, a dog's not right for you. Whether it's a pet dog or a guide dog, our, our dogs need to be uh, well taken care of. They need to be exercised on a daily basis. When they're out guiding, of course, they're going to be working. But everybody has a day where they don't have anything going on, or they're feeling a little bit lazy. It's their day off. They don't want to do anything. You've still got to get out, you know, and walk your dog a couple of times a day mm-hmm. on fairly lengthy journeys. So. Um, so being physically able is also very important. Mm-hmm. Um, you certainly can have, you know, various disabilities, but you have to be in good enough physical condition that you can manage handling a dog on your own and walking a dog as well. Okay. So, what kind of dogs do you guys actually use? For the most part, we use Labrador retrievers and golden retrievers. Uh, the original guide dogs were mostly German shepherds. Uh, and they are used still within the industry, but not quite as frequently. And part of the problem with the shepherd is the matching process. So we just we don't just give the next dog to the next person. There's there's an entire process that goes into it. And with German shepherds, we really have to be able to make sure that it goes to a person who can properly handle a shepherd. Now, right. immediately people think, oh well, they're aggressive and they're big. Well, yes, indeed, they're large dogs, but we breed our own dogs. So within the guide dog industry, we don't have a lot of aggression issues with German Shepherds. But what we have is a very large, strong, independent, intelligent dog who can also be manipulative. So we want to make sure not only can a person handle the Shepherd physically, but also psychologically. They need to be the alpha. They need to dominate over that dog, which can be tricky. So a lot of guide dog organizations uh, throughout the world have moved to labs and retrievers, which we do predominantly, and that's because of their intelligence and their temperament. Uh, It's a great combination. They're intelligent. They like doing what they're asked to do. They love pleasing their master or their handler. So giving them uh, a skill set as being a guide dog, they love to please. They they love being rewarded. Mm -hmm. Of course, what dog doesn't like food reward? But with labs and retrievers, they also love praise, which is really important for us. Mm -hmm. We praise them. They love doing it. Um, but they're also very friendly dogs. The temperament is great. They, they will work for pretty much everybody. And in their downtime, they make a, a great companion, a great pet. They're wonderful family dogs. And, uh, and they also open up people's world a little bit. Um, if somebody's using a guide dog and, and, and they're walking down the street, often people will avoid that person. They don't want to go near them. They want to stay out of the way. They're intimidating. Um, we don't want our dogs distracted when they're working, but it still is a nice opener socially where somebody using a guide dog, people will always come up if it's a lab retriever. Hopefully they don't distract or pet the dog and break all those cardinal rules, but they may ask about the dog and it opens up conversations and, and more of a social aspect as well as just the, the important guiding part. Right. Finally, Tim, the, the final breed that we use um, are standard poodles. Really? Not all organizations do. Okay. And we do it specifically because they're hypoallergenic. And that's, oh. that's quite honestly the main reason. So if we have somebody who applies for a guide dog uh-huh. that really wants that enhanced mobility, but they're allergic to dogs mm-hmm. or allergic to the dog, uh, dog fur, mm-hmm. um, then standard poodles are hyperallergenic. So we can use those as well. I, I did not even, I've never seen one like that. It's amazing. 
Yeah, it's very few. I mean, we're yeah. constantly bre- we're constantly breeding our own dogs, but with the standard poodles, we really only breed them as necessary. So if we have an applicant, whether it's new or somebody replacing uh, an existing guide dog that's retiring or has fallen ill or something, mm-hmm. uh, then we will specifically raise and train a poodle for that person. Now, walk me through the training uh, of the dogs because it is quite. Uh you know, a long training process for, for the dogs. Let's talk a little bit about how that process happens. Cause it always amazes me when they, you know, when you see somebody on the street or, and I've met a couple of people and worked at a couple of camps that were, where clients have dogs and they're amazing animals. Uh, and you know, when they're working because they're wearing their harnesses, but let's talk how, how does the process go uh, and how long does it take? Yeah, absolutely. So we have our own breeding program, like I mentioned. So basically our puppies are, are born into the organization and they're with their mom for the first eight weeks or so through what we call the whelping process. And at about eight weeks of age, those little cute little bundles of joy at eight weeks of age will go to a volunteer that we call a puppy raiser. So we're a national organization, but our puppy raising program is in certain geographical areas only. And we have volunteers that take a puppy into their home for 12 to 18 months. So first of all, imagine that commitment. You're, you're taking a puppy knowing that you have to give it back. And that's the number one comment we hear from people. Oh, I would do that. I would raise a puppy for you, but I could never give it back. We don't want those people. You have to have the mindset as to why you're doing it. So those people actually take the puppy into their homes. The first couple of months are just within the home. The dog is housebound, learning Mm -hmm. how to be a good puppy within the house, the toiletry Mm -hmm. routine, Mm -hmm. socialization skills, obedience. Mm -hmm. But at about 16 weeks of age, we give the volunteer a jacket that the dog will wear in the public. It identifies it as a guide dog in training for Canadian guide dogs for the blind. Mm -hmm. We ask the volunteer to take the puppy pretty much everywhere they go. If they work, we wanted to go to work. If they go to school, we wanted to go to school. We've we've had post-secondary uh, students actually raise our puppies for us. Mm-hmm. We have people that are retired, work from home, work full-time, part-time. It doesn't really matter to us. Of course, a lot of retirees want to do it as well. But it's it's really a case of can you spend the majority of the time with the puppy? We so don't you don't want, want, you don't want somebody who's going to be, you know, who leaves the dog at home for six or seven hours a day. Exactly. We want it exposed to all kinds of environments that it's later going to encounter as a guide dog. So, so our rule for that program is you can't leave the puppy at home for more than two or three hours at a time. Mm-hmm. And really, as frequently as possible. Right. We want it exposed to all kinds of environments. Mm-hmm. So we get through that stage, and very quickly, that's, that's a quick synopsis of, of 12 to 18 months. Sure. So what happens after that is basically we deem this dog is, has, has mastered the obedience and socialization skills that it's going to in somebody's home. They followed all the, the rules and guidelines, and now this dog is ready to enter into guide dog training. So from the volunteer's perspective, they're not training a guide dog. They're raising a very well-disciplined, well-behaved, and obedient dog. Right. When it comes back to us, it moves into our kennels at our National Training Center for Canadian Guide Dogs. And at that point, it works with professional guide dog trainers and guide dog mobility instructors. So the dog will next spend the following five to six months actually training and learning the skills to become a guide dog. Right. If at any point during that program, they show they not only can't do the job, mm-hmm. but maybe don't want to do the job, they actually do make that conscious decision at some point, or at mm-hmm. least display it to us, make mm-hmm. it evident to us, mm-hmm. they'd be removed from the program. But assuming they're going to be successful, mm-hmm. we're now about two years into the life of the dog. So at approximately two years old, wow. might be a little younger, a little bit older, but we're talking about two years on the average. At that point, the dog is ready to become a guide dog. So 
the way it works basically is we say, okay, we have Fido. You know what? Fido's ready to go. Our training staff have made the decision that, that Fido's ready. Mm-hmm. At that point, what we do is we consider our applicant list. So we have folks who are waiting for a replacement guide dog who maybe have a dog that's retired or coming up to retirement. Right. And we have new applicants that have never had a guide dog before. We always give priority to returning applicants. And for anybody that's ever driven, I compare it to having a car. If, if you've taken public transportation your whole life, mm-hmm. walked, cycled, whatever it is, mm-hmm. it's not a big deal to do those things. But if you've driven, and, and we get asked this of a lot of our seniors you know, in our population that have driven, and suddenly their license is taken away, it's devastating. So that's what it's like with a guide dog. Not everybody needs a guide dog. Not everybody wants a guide dog. But most, not always, but most people that have a guide dog will continue to have one for the majority of their life. They've realized the independence and the enhanced mobility that it provides. Mm-hmm. So to get a little bit back on track here, Tim, mm-hmm. somebody applies to us. And then we look at a, a lot of different things. And we match Fido that right. we raised and ready to go out with a specific person. Right. So you could apply to us tomorrow. Somebody else could apply in six months. They may to get a dog faster than you, even if you're both new applicants, because we have to make sure this dog fits you exactly. What do you need from a guide dog, Tim? That's what we would find out. So we have uh, an interview and application process. We get to know you as much as we can. So there are things that we consider. First of all, the, the very basic things, size and stature. Right. It's not an absolute must, but we want the dog to be suitable to the person or the client's size and stature. Well, if they're so, a small stature, you don't want a big dog. Well, exactly, exactly. It does happen some sometimes um, because there are multiple. It's 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 a, a long list of criteria, but that's one of the things that we consider. It could uh, it could maybe provide some uh, control issues if there's not a match. Right. Um, a dog that that is too small may find it difficult guiding a person that's much larger. Mm-hmm. Um, confidence and sensitivity would be one thing. So. We want to ensure that, that the client and the dog both have similar levels of confidence um, with relation to orientation skills. So the dog's level of sensitivity should match um, the person as much as possible. Right. Energy levels. So dogs like people can be introverts or extroverts or kind of somewhere in the middle. And we want that to work as well. Mm-hmm. Um, a very highly energetic, sociable dog. Um, we don't necessarily want with somebody who lives in an apartment and you know, doesn't socialize much and is very much introverted when that dog wants that, that extra yeah. um, social activity. Right. We look at, uh, at the roots of the person, um, the confidence and the skill set of the dog. So a dog that may, I'll give you an example. If we have a client who, or an applicant that lives in a rural area and they don't get out much, but you know what? They just want enough independence maybe to walk to the corner store go to the post office and the bank. Mm -hmm. Compare that to a dog uh, with somebody that lives in downtown Winnipeg and they're taking the bus to work every day or something Mm -hmm. like that. Rural versus urban, how busy their lifestyle is and their daily routing. We have to make sure because a a dog that has a harder work day um, may not work for as many years or might, you know, we don't want a dog struggling. We want to make sure that they can handle that workload. Uh, Speed is important, the walking speed really has to be impeccable um the last thing we want is a person leading a guide dog that is the complete opposite as to how it's supposed to work and i i do actually or we do come across that once in a while where we get clients that that may have some uh, percentage of vision and and feel overly confident and 
and we notice that they're taking the dog for a drag or a walk when it's really not supposed to work that way. So um, people get uh, get comfortable and break rules a little bit. So mm -hmm. we want to make sure that the, the walking speed is impeccable and that the dog is always slightly ahead of the person. Um, home environment's important. So again, we consider who raised the puppy, who raised it as a puppy, where did they go on a regular basis? Did they have a family at home? Right. Does the person getting the guide dog have a family at home or do they live by themselves? Do they work full time? Mm -hmm. Where did the dog go as a puppy? Um, so those are just some, I mean, I, I, I could go on. There's a, yeah. a long, long list in, but that, that, those are a lot of things that we consider. So let's say you're next on the list and we say, Tim, we have Fido and this dog is perfect for you. Okay. <laughs> so this is where the fun part comes in. This is where we, you could have been waiting a couple of months to yep. get a guide dog, you know what, but you could have been waiting two years. Right. Now, imagine we finally make that call because to somebody waiting for a guide dog, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter how long it's been. It feels like an eternity. Mm -hmm. Every client that comes through here says that they can't wait for that call. Mm -hmm. And, and, and they'll, they'll follow, they'll follow up with us and say, you know, do you have any idea when I'm going to get a dog? Do you have an idea? Mm -hmm. And all we can say is, you know what? We haven't find them right. We didn't find the right match yet. We can't tell you it's going to be a month or six months. When we have the dog, we'll find, we'll, we'll find you and right. let you know. So that's a, a very fun call to call and say, hey, Tim, guess what? We have a match. We have a dog for you. Right. Now, you've made that call to me. I am, you know, visually impaired. I'm not totally blind, so I'm visually impaired. Um, and I, I like the fact that, uh, you know, what you're saying is that you know, the, the dog has to, uh, you know, take, you know, take you for a walk. You're not taking the dog for a walk. You've made that call. Now, what do I do now? What's my next process? Well, now it's a huge commitment because now we say to you, are you ready to come to what we call a class? Right. And by a class, we mean residential training. Okay. So we're, we're going to call you to come to a class with probably four to six weeks notice. So there's not a ton. And you're going to leave your job or your school. You're going to leave your family, your friends, and you're going to come to our National Training Center in Manotick, which is part of Ottawa. Mm -hmm. And you're going to reside here for 18 days. Now, the nice part is there's no expense to you. We, as an organization, operate solely through donations. Right. And, and that's where the funds go. We're going to pay for you to get to and from Ottawa, and even our local clients still have to come here for residential training. So right. we're going to get you to and from Ottawa, pick you up at the airport with our staff, get you to the uh, training center. The room and board, the training course, the dog are all provided free of charge. Okay. But you have to make that huge 18-day commitment and to be able to say yes. And and the reason we prefer residential training, in our experience, there, there are some organizations that, that do what we call domiciliary. We will do that occasionally if it's absolutely necessary, but we prefer residential training because we want you to come to our training center, not worry about, you know, oh, I have to go to work for a couple of hours. I can't train this morning. Mm -hmm. Who's going to, who's going to pay the bills today? I can't do banking. I, I have to go out and train with the guide dog. Who's going to make dinner? Who's picking the kids up at daycare or at school or right. off the school bus? Leave everything at home. Come here and focus. You're hundred percent in. You're hundred percent in. That's it. Yeah. You need to come here and you need to, to focus. So the first thing we're going to do, obviously, are, are basic things like uh, get you settled in, in, in your room, in your suite, um, give you an orientation of the building, go through the, the house rules, the training rules. So, so you're going to spend almost a full day here before you're even introduced to the dog that you're going to be getting as a guide dog. So one of the most positive things I already mentioned is calling you to tell you we have a dog for you. Right. The, the most exciting thing is probably on that second day is right after lunch, we introduce you to your 
future guide dog. That's awesome. It's really exciting because that must be every time that happens. You it must just make you smile. It does. That's what we're here for. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've worked here for twenty one years or so. Okay. Um, I work for a charity. I'm not getting rich. Yeah. I absolutely love this. Mm-hmm. When I started here, it was a job. Again, I won't get too off topic, Tim. We'll get back mm-hmm. to the process. But when I started here, it was a job. Right. It was a job I saw, you know, advertised. I applied and I knew absolutely nothing about guide dogs. And now 21 years later, it's a vocation. And I don't know if it comes across, but <laughs> but I'm excited about what we do. I, I, I can tell your excitement, actually. Um, it totally comes across. And there are people that uh, people that automatically say, you know, they ask me where I work, and they, oh, I love dogs. It must be so much fun. For me, yeah, dogs are great. I prefer cats, if you can believe that. <laughs> <laughs> I do. That's just my personal choice. But you know what? This is about people for yeah, me. That's yeah. why I'm here. Is changing right. people's lives. That's that's what I love about what we do. Right. So when you're going to get your dog, mm-hmm. you know nothing about it, and okay. that's kind of scary coming into it. But it's kind of fun too. So we you don't, don't know what you, kind of you don't know what kind of dog you're no, getting then. No, no, we just tell you. You know what? It's Fido, and it's going to be the perfect dog for you. We've specially selected this dog for you. Okay. Because things happen with with dogs. You right. know, they right. are animals, and we don't want to tell you. Yes, you're getting a a seventy five pound black lab named penny yeah and suddenly penny falls ill the week before you're coming right and we have to quickly find you another dog that we think is a good match right or you know things like that happen so basically we keep it all a secret we just you just have to be you know confident that we're going to give you the right dog okay so we introduce the dog to you and that's really when the work begins it's uh, it's 18 or at that point 17 more days of, of, of morning and afternoon training some evening and night walks are, are included as well we have some social activities um getting out to restaurants and coffee shops and such within the training program mm-hmm. but it's it's a lot of work you you, you know the, the forgotten part a lot of times is somebody coming here to get a guide dog maybe has never had a guide dog before but some people have never had a pet dog in their entire life right and now we hand over this dog and we say Tim, this is Fido. Don't worry. If you make a mistake and walk into traffic, Fido will block your path. Just trust Fido with your life. Trust that you can put your cane away, and at the top of the stairs, Fido is going to indicate that stairwell. Just trust the dog. That has got to be probably one of the scariest things, I would think, for people to to wrap their head around. And and even myself, I'm sitting here thinking, and I've thought about this for, for many, many years because, I mean, myself, I've been visually impaired my entire life. And I've seen, as I said before, I've seen people with guide dogs and I know I know some people who have dogs. And it amazes me how much trust all of a sudden you are putting into this dog. And that does take some time. And that's, again, part of the reason we like residential training because right. it's not only about learning how to use the dog as a mobility device, a guide dog, but it's also about bond. So this dog has gone from the puppy razor and that family. Then they work on a daily basis with mainly one specific guide dog trainer or instructor. Right. And now we have to have this dog move its allegiance and realize that you're the new master. And these dogs that we use, it's, it's part of the reason we use the breeds we do. They're very adaptable and very able to do that. But the confusing part is this dog could have been working with our guide dog instructor, let's just say Melissa. And for six months, Melissa is Fido's master. Now you come here 
and we give Fido to you, but you're working and walking alongside Melissa. Mm -hmm. So the dog is like, well, but wait, you're my master, Melissa. Why do I have to listen to this guy? Right. So from the time you get the dog, the dog will sleep in the suite with you, never on furniture. It's a guide dog rule, always on a dog bed, but next to the person's bed. The dog is fed in the person's bedroom suite. That really helps the bonding process because these dogs are very food oriented. So quickly they realize, oh, well, this guy's feeding me every day. This must be my new master. I'm going to listen to him. Okay. He's going to feed me at the end of the day. Yeah. So, so it's a, very much a transition and a bonding process. But again, it's that trust factor. Um, the dog has to learn to trust the person, but the person really has to learn to trust the dog. And that does take some time. Even after you go home, we say it could be up to a year before that bonding is really in full effect and it continues to grow mm -hmm. a guide dog a guide dog relationship is probably um this is funny for me to say because i i've worked here for 21 years but i've never used a guide dog so right. my analogies are uh secondhand or coming from clients from our organization uh, but i do have a child and and what i hear a lot of times is that the bond between a person and their guide dog is very similar to a parent and child it's that strong right and in fact sometimes spouses get jealous because it's almost like they're replaced a little bit um <laughs> <laughs> not only with the bonding and, and and the relationship that's there but but even for being relied upon for you know for assistance and for mobility mobility and getting out places right. um you know we have some some clients that have said you know what my wife's a little ticked off because now i just get fido in the harness and we just go out i don't need her help anymore <laughs> But it must be it must be an amazing it must be an amazing feel for those you know who have now waited however long they've waited for and they finally get their dog and and it's a certain amount of freedom that that they have now. It is, um, you know, it's 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 being able to be a hundred percent independent. Um, so you still have to keep your O and M skills up, especially with new routes. You can take all the applied principles that you've learned in one place and apply it to another city perhaps. But if it's a brand new environment for the person and the dog, um, the principles are there, but you may need a little bit of work in that specific rooting situation. But um, but it really does get people to 100% independence. It, it, it's quite amazing. It's, it's such a great process uh, well, we that you guys go. That too. Yeah. yeah, we can continue with the process. So, so you're going to spend the 18 days here. And when you go home, generally the classes end on a Friday morning. And, and that's, uh, you know, I, I often, I, I'm excited about our clients, but I also have plenty of empathy. And, and can you imagine, you've never had a dog before. You spent 18 days or 17 days with this dog. You've bonded. Now we're going to say, okay, get on that flight. You're going back home to Winnipeg. Well, that's where I, uh, that's kind of where I'm leading. Like that, that has got to be the next, you know, biggest, scariest part is, okay, I've spent 18 days with you. Now I'm on my own. Yeah. So we're going to drop you off at the airport. See you later. Take you to the airport <laughs> and uh, we're going to say, good luck. All your tickets paid for. Here's your boarding pass. Everything's in place. And, uh, but we don't just say, see you later. We actually have a follow-up program. Right. So the way it works is, is basically you would go home that Friday mm -hmm. and we're going to suggest to you, you know what? Don't go anywhere with the dog. Just stick around home because the dog needs to get familiar with your home, anybody else that might live in the household. Right. And the bonding continues now within your own household. Wait till the following week. And what's going to happen is the guide dog instructor that you work with is now going to come to your hometown. Okay. And we're going to do a couple of days of follow-up in your hometown. Nice. So, again, taking the principles that were learned 
at our training center and in the city of Ottawa, we're now going to apply those to where you live, i.e. Winnipeg, and do your specific routing. Beyond right. that, what we also do is, is we retain ownership of the dog. That's an organizational decision. The reason for that, there's a couple of reasons. We say it's to protect the dog mm -hmm. and it's to protect the person. So for the dog's point of view, if we ever had somebody that wasn't using the dog properly, abusing the dog, these things happen so rarely. Right. Um, but we have the right to take the dog back if we have any bad reports and investigate further. Um, we could go somewhere in the spring and do a follow-up visit and the dog is 15 pounds overweight. The right. dog is not going to work properly in that case. So we may bring the dog back and say to the person, you know what, this is your strike. We're going to put the dog on a diet, get it back in its shape, and we're going to bring it back to you when it's time to work again. But, right. but this, is, this is your strike. As far as protecting the person, we've had cases where maybe a client um, ends up in the hospital and they have absolutely nobody in their life that is willing or able to care for the dog. What mm -hmm. do they do? Mm -hmm. um, if it's an overnight, maybe the dog can be in the hospital room with them, that sort of thing. But sometimes it can't happen. So, so we will make sure in emergency situations that that dog is taken care of through, mm -hmm. through a boarding program or a boarding family. Um, we've had clients pass away and we'll get a call from a complete stranger that says, you know what, this person passed away and their dog is here and we don't know what to do. We are going to make sure that somebody flies to that city, picks up that dog, brings it back, and we're either going to retrain the dog if it's capable of doing that and young enough or retire the dog and find a good home for the dog. So it protects both the dog and the client. And through that relationship, we also maintain an aftercare program. So okay. in addition to following up in the person's home the following week, we're going to visit you six months later. Okay. No matter what, we're right. going to come again and we're, you know, some people say it's a little bit big brother, but we want to make sure everything is working absolutely positively. There's no safety concerns and everything is going well. Of course, we're available for, for email, telephone consultation in between. We'll have emergency visits if absolutely necessary. But if things are going fairly well, we're going to come six months later and then approximately every year thereafter, mm -hmm. as long as that dog is working, we're going to come and visit you and make sure that everything is going okay. Do you ever have situations where the the match just doesn't work? Unfortunately, yes, because these are dogs. And, and I don't know if I would say it's so much the match. I'm pretty confident in our, our training staff, you right. know, present and past. Anybody that's worked here, we're, we're pretty confident that they do a wonderful job and the matching is impeccable. But what happens sometimes as I mentioned earlier, um, that in the training process, these dogs can show you a sign they don't want to do the job. Right. And that can happen even after a dog is out working. Um, a dog may just decide, you know what, this, this, this isn't, isn't for me. me. Yeah. I'm not going to, you know, we're going to get to the curb and I'm not going to bother stopping. Um, so imagine things like that, the, yeah. the, the safety situation. So sometimes we do have to retire dogs early. So, mm -hmm. um, in a case like that, the person might say, you know what, that's not the right dog for me. It's a bad match. In most cases, no, it's not so much the match, but the dog may have decided, you know what, I, I just don't want to do this. The other problem sometimes is people do break the rules. So if, uh, if, if, you're, if you're walking your guide dog, the, the dog is going to stop at the down curb and indicate a down curb. Um, but if you're in a hurry and you know that area well enough that you're uh. not going to force the dog to stop, you're just going to tell the dog, you know, forward and keep on marching. Well, 
that kind of confuses the dog. It can mess with their confidence level. They think, what did I do wrong? And the next sure. time, maybe they don't bother stopping. They think, well, we don't have to stop at this particular curve. Right. So a lot of times, it's kind of similar to a pet dog, Tim, where, where people always say, oh, this dog's out of control. There's something wrong with the dog. And in most cases with pet dogs, it's the training or lack thereof. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in our case, it's probably something, you know, that the person has done or is not doing right or, or making just simple mistakes and not even being aware of the mistakes that they're making. So, um it's it's usually the person more than the dog itself. What happens if there's another dog that was in the family prior to the, the guide dog coming into the family? So that's not so much of a problem. It does happen. And uh, basically, the the guide dog has to be with one person. So it has to be okay. sole responsibility of the guide dog handler. So if there's another dog in the household, um, if you live by yourself, it can be very challenging because... Mm-hmm. That guide dog is going to be in harness. It's going to go out everywhere you go. The dog can't walk together. A guide dog is working, whereas a pet dog is going out for a pleasure walk. A guide dog will never relieve when it's out working, whereas you take a pet dog out to walk to go to the bathroom. So it's a very different thing. So so usually if there is an existing pet dog, we would suggest that there's somebody else in the household, that becomes their pet dog. You're responsible for the guide dog. Now this is a question, uh, and and it may kind of sound off be uh, off the the cuff a little bit, but who cleans up after the guide dog if you can't that's, see properly? I've always wanted to know about that. Something we have to teach, and you're not exempt from the bylaw, so you need to pick it up wherever okay. you live. Right. I, I don't think there's anywhere in Canada that you're allowed to just leave it. So right. uh, we're going to teach you that, and and basically it's it's the flow of the body. So the first thing is is repetition. So it. Uh, a, a well-trained, well-raised dog for us yeah. is going to, first of all, give you indications or you're going to realize, okay, the dog is starting to circle. The dog has to go to the bathroom. Right. But it's also, you know, after a dog eats, it has to go to the bathroom. Right. If a dog gets overly excited, it's probably going to have to go to the bathroom. When a dog wakes up, it has to go to the bathroom. So, so like routine, other, like a normal routine then. Ex- exactly. It's coming up with a normal routine. Now, the other thing we do is we train our dogs to relieve on command. And it oh, sounds really okay. impressive, but it's it's very simple. It's following all these consistencies. Yeah. And the analogy I use is if you're going to go on a trip and the kids are getting in the car, yeah. what do you do? You say, you know what? Everybody go to the bathroom before we go. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But I just went But I just went 10 minutes ago. <laughs> it doesn't matter. You go anyway before we get in the car. And that's yeah. what we do with our dogs. Right. Our, our dogs may eat breakfast and be relieved. Mm-hmm. And now a half hour later, you're going to go to work. You're going to give the dog the command to busy and force it to empty its bladder before you leave. Okay. And then you're going to give the command again when you get home or to your destination. I see. So when you're out walking the dog, working the dog, the dog, right. I mean, accidents happen. Dogs have bad days like people, but sure. generally the dog will not be going to the bathroom when it's working. Right. And the harness will always come off. So you'll have all of those indicators. And then from there, the rest is easy. Really, you know when or you're giving the command for the dog to relieve. You'll right. take the harness off and you'll feel the, you know, basically from the neck down the back of the dog to the back end. And and basically that's that's how you're going to know is follow the body of the dog and you'll have to pick up after the dog. That, I've always, that's really cool. I've always wondered how they did that. And you know what? It's not that offbeat, Tim. I, I, I get that question. I wouldn't say a lot because I think, <laughs> quite honestly, I think people are embarrassed to ask it, but it uh, is one of the most commonly, I've never, uh, common, commonly, uh, common questions that people want to know the answer. I, I've, I've always, I, I mean, it's, I, it's something that everybody does, but it was always a question of, I was always wanted to ask somebody about that, and I never well, have. You, That's really cool. 
quite honestly, it's usually kids because out of the mouth of babes, right? Sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, they, they don't mind. They're not embarrassed and they'll ask anything. And the two questions um, that our clients tell me, if they're speaking to a, a group of kids, educating kids about guide dogs, the two questions um, that the kids will ask that an adult would never ask, it certainly this way, it would be very offensive, but out of kids, you can give them a break. They'll say, number one, how did you go blind? And yep. number two, how do you find the poop? Yeah. <laughs> Those are the two questions every time. <laughs> I've had question number one asked me many, many times, but never number I'm two. Sure. Um, let's talk about a little bit about, um, yeah, before we, uh, you know, we roll along here, uh, how how many hours does the dog work in the day? Is the harness, is there, is there a recommended time that the harness be off the dog for a certain amount of time? Well, basically, for the most part, uh, the majority of the day, the dog is a pet dog. Okay. So it's really about getting from point A to point B. So it depends on the person's activities, um, getting to work or school or even social activities, meetings, volunteering, whatever that person does on a regular basis, they have to get there. So that's when the dog is working. Inside the house, the dog does not work. Um, there are some other types of service dogs that provide services within a home, but a guide dog is outside of the house getting from point A to point B. A guide dog won't go find your, fetch your toothbrush for you, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, in the house, the harness is off, they're a pet dog. So the majority of the time is off duty. They get their downtime, their playtime, right. especially if they're labs or retrievers, they absolutely love playtime. So um, they really have the best of both worlds because, again, we never force our dogs to do this. If they show signs they don't want to do it, they don't have to. They're removed from the program. So the dogs that are out guiding absolutely love it. And I do get some people that say, you know what? Guide dogs don't look happy. Well, and, and my reply to that is, do you always look happy when you're at work? Right. You might like your job, but you know what? The dog's job is very focused. Right. When I go to the doctor, um, my doctor is very focused. And it doesn't mean that they're not a good doctor or have, you know, bad bedside manner. They they love their job, but they're not going to necessarily tell me jokes while right. I'm there or yeah. be yeah, smiling yeah. all the time. It's they're, they're there for business. And a guide dog is, is working, doing their business. But when they get to the destination, so if you have a guide dog, you're going to work. When you get to work, you're going to have a situation set up where probably in your office, um, you might have a dog bed beneath mm -hmm. your, your bed, or sorry, beneath your desk yep. um, at your feet. The dog's going to lay at your feet. The harness would come off. So it's really just like being at home. The dog is chilling. Okay. If the harness is on, it indicates that the dog is working. So I'll give you another example. If you go to a restaurant with a guide dog, yep. you're probably going to take the harness off and let the dog relax. Because if you leave that harness on, the dog might close its eyes for a moment. It might appear to be very relaxed, but that dog is listening intently. Okay. Um, they're waiting for the next command. The harness is on, and they realize, I'm on duty. And as soon as he says, up, up, we're gone. So if you're going to be there for an hour or two for a nice long dinner, take the harness off, let the dog relax. Okay. So so really, percentage-wise, they're not working a lot. It's when you're going from point A to point, point B. B. Right. If you're not um, if you're not going out on a particular day, we, we would recommend get the dog out a couple of times a day in any weather conditions, um, maybe for a half hour or so. Now, extreme humidity, extreme, cold. you know, watery cold might be a little bit different. That's no different than a person, right? We don't right. want to be out in that for very long. So same sort of thing you'll tailor it but on an average canadian day get out you know for a half hour a couple of times a day if you're not going out actually working the dog we want it to stay in top physical condition at all times what is uh we've seen in the news sometimes where businesses are uh, not necessarily always allowing 
guide dogs into their businesses. Are are we are we finding that we can get past that a little bit? Are there strategies to get past that that stumbling uh, block? It's a huge challenge. Um, you know, we're talking, you know, 90 years of guide dogs in North America and people still fight that battle. But mm -hmm. luckily it does not happen that often. Where, where it happens um, is maybe uh, businesses that are owned by uh, new Canadians that aren't aware of our culture or the use of guide dogs or come from cultures or religions where dogs might be considered evil or dirty. Right. Um, Uber, without picking on them, that seems to be a bit of an issue at, at times. And it's that fine line of you are a public service, a public business, you have to adhere to accessibility laws, but then the people who work for them think, well, this is my personal vehicle, so they're going to take a chance and decline somebody access. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it does happen occasionally. Thankfully, it's very rare. Good. Um, and, and sometimes we even have, you know, um, authorities or police forces that don't even know how to react. It is against the law for somebody to, um, in every province and, and territory in Canada, there are different different laws, different names, but legislation that prevents you from denying access mm -hmm. um, or prevents you yeah, from denying access to somebody with a guided dog. So, so you have to adhere to it. And with our clients, you know, it depends on the personality. Some people will fight the fight and they'll call you know, call yep. the police and they'll call human rights and they'll file right. a complaint and other people just say, oh, you know what? I can't be bothered. I'm just not going to shop at your store anymore and mm -hmm. I'll go down the road. So it depends on personalities, but, but it happens occasionally, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, we obviously as an organization, it's, it's, it's absolutely detrimental to what we do. So we, we try to give uh, our clients advice on how to, how to react, but really it comes down to their personality and, and how far they want to take the fight. Stephen, is there anything else you'd like to touch on before I let you go today? Well, I have to be a little bit selfish for the organization, Tim. I mentioned earlier we operate solely through donations. So uh, if anybody would like to find out more about our organization, visit our website. It's guidedogs.ca. We don't deny there are other organizations out there, uh, but we've been doing this since 1984, and we're very proud of what we do. We're at 877 guide dog teams provided across Canada since 1984. So that's the uh, that's the begging for money portion of my program. But otherwise, Tim, I also want to put our services out there. If you um, are registered as legally blind, and have you ever thought about getting a guide dog? It's not right for everybody, but you know what? Get in touch with us. Our contact information, again, is at guidedogs.ca. Phone us, email us, ask the questions. We'd be happy to go over the process with you in more detail. Find out if you're eligible, first of all, and if the fit is right for you. But we service all of Canada. So um, the fact that you might live in Manitoba or Saskatchewan and there is actually no guide dog training center in your area, that doesn't matter. We're here for you at our National Training Center for Canadian Guide Dogs for the Blind. We're going to come to you. We're going to we're going to make everything flow together. It's 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 not that intimidating of a process. We're going to guide you through it, give you all the information you need, and it, you know you can make the determination as to whether it's the, the right fit for you or not. Stephen, thank you very much for spending some time with us on Blind Like Me and uh, letting us inside learning about guide dogs. It's been amazing. Thank you, Tim. And when you make that decision, you just let us know. I you'll be the first person I call. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks for listening to Blind Like Me. If you have a comment or suggestion about future casts, drop us an email to blindlikeme at outlook.com. Blind Like Me is a timblackonair.com production.